we get to, well, good morning. I'm, um, the announcement of the resurrection, it's news, okay? It's not advice for your life, but it's news. It, it's amazing news that for lots and lots of people, it's really good news. Jesus passed through death to eternal life. That's the announcement of the resurrection. Um, Matthew was one of the followers of Jesus, one of the, one of the 12, and he wrote about that first triumphant Sunday. Uh, Matthew's, uh, Matthew's account is specifically important because Matthew was someone who not only followed Jesus, but Matthew was someone who literally died. He actually died for telling people that Jesus truly rose from the dead. And so we're going to look at Matthew's account. We're going to see what Matthew has to say about that first Easter morning in Matthew 28, verses 1 to 9. The verses are in your bulletin. If you want to write some things down, you can do that there. Um, The verses are also going to be up on the screen. This is Matthew 28, verses 1 through 9. It says this, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And this is the gospel. This is one of the earliest accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I, I want to let you know that there are three facts about this that give us confidence that this actually happened. There are three facts I'm going to share with you that no credible historian denies Okay, whether they believe in Jesus or not, no credible historian denies these three facts. First, Jesus' tomb was empty. Second, Jesus' followers claimed that Jesus appeared uh, after he died. Third, Jesus' followers claimed that Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead. Okay, no historian denies these things. Now, some doubt the claim of Jesus' followers, but no one doubts that Jesus' followers claimed that they saw him and claimed that he was bodily resurrected from the dead. And so this is my plug for you to come to Carlos and Berkeley's discussion. Um, they're going to talk about 
uh, the resurrection and the evidence for the resurrection, so come during the next two Sundays. If you want to dive into this, if you're like, yeah, wait, wait, hold on, but wait, just so, hold on, this sounds like a myth to me, wait, I don't know about this. If you have questions, go to the seminar during the first service, the 9 a.m. service for the next two weeks, and you'll get to talk and discuss. They're going to look at the evidence and talk about why it's actually more logical and more consistent with the evidence to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So, now, last week... This is the continuation of a message that began last week. You can hear it if you want on the, on the web. Last week, we took an honest and often embarrassing look at the devil's claims to be actually the one in control of the world. Now, if you don't believe in a personal devil or Satan, then just think about the devil as the personified ruler and inspirer of everything that's wrong with the world. Okay, just imagine that there's someone in charge of it all, but you can think about this and apply it to sort of the, the forces that cause us to do things that are wrong. And last week we saw that if you look at history and you see all of the violence and the oppression and the injustice and the breakdown of society and the family, it often looks like the devil is the one in charge, not God. If you look at the world today, right, it's easy to conclude the same thing. And the message, the reason why the devil is so powerful is because the devil uses, um, he, he's got a message that is actually incredibly persuasive. And so here's a summary of the devil's message. We looked at this in detail last week. First, the devil says, there's no judgment or accountability. Look, as long as you don't hurt anyone, just do whatever feels good. Second, if it makes sense to you, it must be true. Right, that your perspective, your feelings are the final say in what's true and what's false. And then third, the devil's message is you only live once and life is short. So don't, make sure that you don't miss out. Make sure that you don't miss out. And so this is his message if you look at history, if you look at the world today, you sort of see that we talked last week, the devil has scoreboard, right? He's got all kinds of, 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 of scores. He's got all kinds of evidence on the side of his, uh, his leadership being what's in control of the world. And so how can Jesus hope to compete? We're sitting here in a church, Right? We're sitting here in the middle of a city, in the middle of a country, in the middle of a world. I mean, really, like, what are we doing? Like, how can Jesus hope to push back the onslaught of all that seems to be following after the devil in our day and age? Like, what does Jesus have for a score? <laughs> if the devil's got scoreboard, what does Jesus have? Like, what does Jesus have that would make you think it's safe to trust him? I would say today that Jesus has one thing. He's got one thing on his side of the scoreboard, but Jesus' one thing means everything. Jesus' one thing means everything. And that one thing that Jesus has is the resurrection. Jesus has the resurrection from out of the dead. You have to understand what resurrection means, okay? Resurrection does not mean that Jesus was flatlined in the tomb and was brought back to life. It doesn't mean that he was resuscitated. 
It doesn't mean that he came back into this life. Resurrection doesn't mean that Jesus went into the tunnel of death and then stopped and turned around and came back out. That's not what the resurrection of Jesus means. Resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus passed through death and into eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus, the way the Bible talks about it, because other people were, reset, were restored from the dead. Other people came back from the dead. They came back to life, and then they died again. But Jesus, again, didn't go into the tunnel and then come back out. Jesus passed all the way through the tunnel of death and came out the other side. That's what the resurrection means. He was bodily raised from out of the dead, and he will never die again. And this happened in history. This isn't a myth. It's not a fable. It happened in history. And Jesus appeared to people for 40 days. He appeared to small groups of one or two or three or 12. He appeared to large groups, one as big as 500 people. They saw him. They touched him. They talked with him. They ate with him. They put their hands in the nail prints in his hands and his feet. They put their hands in the wound in his side. And they knew that this was not a ghost. But this was a man who had passed through death and into eternal life. And the New Testament is this collection of writings of people that almost kind of don't know what to do with this. It came upon them. They were surprised. Nobody anticipated it. Nobody thought it was possible for one person in the middle of history to come out of the grave and to be alive forever. And yet, and so the New Testament, it's like this explosion of heaven into earth. And it's this explosion where eternity is invading the present from the empty tomb out into all the world. In every direction, the resurrection goes. It explodes in every direction. And you can see that the, the New Testament writers, they, they pick up different aspects of what the resurrection means. And they run with it. And they're all like this amazing, it's, all, it's, it's like a diamond. They're all looking at different facets of the resurrection diamond of Jesus. And so some, they, they talk about how it brings freedom. It brings ransom. It brings forgiveness, power, new beginnings, and adoption into family. The resurrection of Jesus brings all of this from heaven to earth. And it brings all of this into the lives of people who commit to following Jesus. When you believe that this happened, when you follow Jesus with your life, then these things become blessings that invade your life. And they begin to transform you. When you follow the resurrected Jesus, you will find that the knots created by the devil's lies begin to untangle themselves. And you begin to let the truth set you free. And so Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of eternal life. It connects the eternity of heaven with earth. And it's not just, i got to say this, it's not just that he came back from the dead, okay? This is not this life forever, okay? That would not be good because this life is fraught with misery and suffering and malevolence and decay and brokenness, Right? I mean, this life is good, there's things about it that are good, and there's elements that are hopeful and happy, but gosh, we don't want this to last forever. The resurrection of Jesus does not say this will last forever. 
The resurrection is not about eternalizing this existence, but it's about taking everything that is beautiful and good and restored and then adding to it the infinite love of God and adding to it the infinite creativity and beauty and wisdom and understanding of God and creating a new heaven and a new earth where everything is made right. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of that construction project. It's a development project that will touch the entire world. And Jesus' resurrection is the first ceremonial groundbreaking. It's that first shovel full of dirt that won't be finished until everything is renewed. And so this is why the announcement of Jesus' resurrection gives people hope and joy. Because when you believe this, when you believe in the resurrection, when you follow the resurrected Savior, when you understand that he is now on the other side of death, it brings an explosion of all that he is into all that we are. And there's one other strand of implication that I want to focus on today. There's another reality that flows directly from the resurrection that is so important for every aspect of how we live our lives today. Jesus, coming out alive on the other side of the grave, this most powerfully shows that the devil is a liar. The resurrection of Jesus shows that the devil's scoreboard is a house of cards. It shows that he is a charlatan. Who, uh, he's a liar who uses lies and half-truths to gain a following so that he can gain power for himself. He is full of lies, and Jesus' resurrection exposes his lies. I want to show you where we see this specifically in Scripture. There's a passage in the book of Revelation in chapter 20. In uh, Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3, it says this. This is an amazing image. The book of Revelation, it's like, it's like being in a kid's dream sometimes. Like you read these things and the images and it's, it's all, it's like apocalyptic and it's life changing and it's world changing because that's what the resurrection is. Even when we don't see it in amazing, grandiose technicolor, sometimes it looks very ordinary in our lives, but, but I love this image. It says, then, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus leads to the binding of the devil now, what does this mean, that the devil is bound? What does it mean that he's thrown into this pit and it's covered and it's, he's got this chain, right? What does it mean? Well, verse 3 tells us exactly what it means. It means that he can deceive the nations no longer. And so the gospel, the gospel, the, the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus that he has emerged from out of the grave and into eternal life. The gospel is the announcement that shows the whole world that there is another way to live. There's another authority on earth. There's another message about the way to have a life that is meaningful and significant. 
there is a different way to live, this gospel announces to the whole world that God has revealed himself in Jesus and that Jesus is in fact the one who passed through death and came out the other side. So this doesn't mean that the devil can't deceive us anymore. But what it does mean is that the resurrection of Jesus is the event in history that exposes his deceptions as lies. It's the resurrection of Jesus, remembered, proclaimed, announced, believed, that sets you free from falling under his deceitful traps. Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate victory because Jesus took the best that the devil could throw at him and he came out alive. The proof, man, the proof that Jesus has overcome the devil and his power is in the resurrection. The resurrection so powerfully exposes Satan as a liar that this passage in Revelation says that the liar himself is cast into a bottomless pit and chained up and the lid is slammed shut on him. Glory, hallelujah. So I want to show you specifically how the resurrection exposes the devil's lies. Okay, we saw in the message of the devil, we looked at these lies in detail last week. I listed them for you in the devil's message just a few minutes ago. But I'm going to look at these lies one by one and show you how the resurrection is proof that these things are lies. So lie number one is that there is no judgment or accountability, right? As long as you don't hurt anyone, do what feels good, okay? The resurrection shows that this is a lie, Okay. In Acts 2, verses 32 to 39, let me read you some of this. This was one of the first announcements of the resurrection of Jesus by the Apostle Peter. He said this, This Jesus God raised up, and of, and of that we are all witnesses. We're not making this up. We saw it. We saw it. And then he says, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Friends, the resurrection of Jesus proves that there is accountability for the things that we do in this life. The resurrection of Jesus shows the kind of life that God accepts accepts the life of Jesus. He was raised from the dead because he had no sins of his own to die for. And so the resurrection of Jesus proves that there is judgment and that Jesus was exonerated. It proves that Jesus was vindicated. It proves that Jesus was right. What you do does matter. What you do does matter. There is judgment after death. And the resurrection of Jesus also shows that the death of Jesus was not for his sins, but it was for ours. Because if Jesus had sins of his own to die for, he would never have been raised from the dead. And so our sins, our misdeeds, will be judged. And look what Peter says next in verse 38 in Acts 2. It says, and Peter said to them, like, what should we do? Let me tell you. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to commit to Jesus. 
He says, now that you see that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, that he has risen from out of the grave, that he is raised to eternal life, turn the direction of your life and follow him. Being baptized just means saying, I'm with Jesus. Being baptized into uh, the name of Jesus Christ. And then here's what happens. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so this resurrection of Jesus, it calls us up short. It reminds us that our sins actually do matter, that there is judgment and accountability for everything that we do, but that the one who will judge also offers an invitation. There's an invitation that if you turn the direction of your life and you follow him, then he will forgive you, that he will welcome you into his family, and he will give you his own spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that he will be with you forever. Man, so he invites us. If he invited those who crucified him, surely he'll invite us. And he does invite us to turn and come to him for forgiveness. Lie number two. It's part of the devil's message is that if it makes sense to you, it must be true. Again, look back at this same passage in Acts 2, 32, uh, just 32 and 37. It says this, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The Jews and the Romans of Jesus' day thought they were doing what was right. Some of them thought they were even doing God a favor by crucifying Jesus. But the resurrection is proof. The resurrection is proof that no matter what makes sense to us, no matter what we think is true or what we think is false, Jesus was raised from the dead. No matter what you think or what religion you are, no matter what philosophy tickles your fancy, no matter what way of life you think is best, Jesus rose from the dead. This happened in history. Come and argue about it. Discuss it next week and the week after in that, in that discussion time. But if Jesus rose from the dead... It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we think is true or false. God calls us to follow Jesus. I want to show you another passage from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Look at this. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast. So again, in the resurrection of Jesus, he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he serves as a high priest. He means he intercedes between us and God. He mediates. He's like an advocate for us. We do stuff wrong. Jesus says, hey, I got that. I died for that. Jesus is pleading um, uh, forgiveness for us. He is 
And so then verse 15 goes on. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus' resurrection and ascension, it motivates us to hold fast. It motivates us to hold on against the onslaught, against the reality that so much of the world does not live this way, does not think this way, will push against you, will insult you, will make you feel like an idiot for following Jesus. They will continue to move and push the message of the devil. And most of them don't even know that's what they're pushing, but that's what they're pushing. And against all of that onslaught, the resurrected Jesus enables you to hold fast. We persevere because Jesus rose from the dead and has passed through the heavens and now stands as our high priest. The resurrection brought Jesus to heaven and now he brings us to God with sympathy and understanding. The resurrection is proof that God will be gracious to everyone who commits to following Jesus. And so we can draw near to God with confidence, with confidence to find mercy and grace in any situation that we need. And you can see why the, the New Testament just thought this was an explosion. It's like, like, we can't even figure out how to talk about all of the ways that this reality now makes a difference in our lives. You feel guilt? Jesus speaks to that. Do you feel powerless? Jesus speaks to that. Right? In all these different ways, Jesus comes to us and the resurrected Jesus who is now experiencing eternal life, who shares that eternal life with us. Man, his power, his love, his forgiveness, his adoption, you are not alone. No matter what it is, no matter where you are, no matter how far away from him you are, no matter how far away from being what you wish you were, Jesus loves you exactly where you are. And the fact that you have turned the direction of your life toward him, no matter how far away from what you ought to be, you are, he's with you there. He comes to you. He doesn't wait for you to get closer. He comes running to you wherever you are, however far you are, and you're not far anymore. You might be far from what you will be. I know I am. But you're not alone. Man, it's good news good news. All right, then the third lie. The third lie that the devil passes off, and this one's strong, y'all. This one has so many of us in its grips. The third lie is that you only live once, and life is short, so live it up. Man, here's the thing. Don't miss out. If you don't get to experience it in this life, you will lose your opportunity forever, right? If you don't taste every kind of pleasure, every kind of goodness, if you don't explore every inch of this planet, you're going to lose out. You're going to miss out. If you don't buy every new gadget, if you don't have every new item of clothing, if you don't have any of the late, I mean, you will miss out. Come on, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life? Why aren't you getting more? Why aren't you, do, you know? I mean, this is it. Like, this bombards us all the time. Man, 
the people who saw the resurrected Jesus, they concluded something entirely different. Romans 6, verse 9. We know, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. This is what we've been saying, right? The resurrection of Jesus puts him past death. He is beyond death. He's through death and into resurrection and eternal life. He will never die again. He will never go back. And then 2 Timothy 1.10 says this, Our Savior Jesus Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the good news is that Jesus, in his resurrection, abolished death for all of us. It abolished death and it brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So this isn't just about Jesus. But the us who also will be raised up are all those who follow Jesus. And so, friends, the resurrection of Jesus is proof that you actually live twice. You live twice. Man. So, Francis Chan, some of you have heard of him, he's a famous preacher guy. He's a stud. He's an all-star. Um, he did this illustration, and I was like, this is exactly the illustration I need. Um, the devil says you only live once. The Bible says something different. This is a rope. It's a climbing rope. Thank you, Kirk Clausen. <laughs> this rope, um, you know, I have friends who say, you know what, now's my time. This one guy, he's retired. And he was debating whether he wanted to serve on the board of a nonprofit or if he wanted to spend his senior years um, traveling. He's got a boat, he likes to sail. And he was really struggling because he kind of felt like, you know what, this just keeps going on and on and on. That's interesting. But yeah, he's struggling because he's like, I only have a certain amount of time. I've got a boat, I want to travel, I want to sail. And I said, you know what? It's true. Like you have done all that you would need to do to earn the right to spend the rest of your life on your boat across the globe. And you've deserved that. In fact, there is a sense to where God would be honored if you did that for his glory. Because there was a moment at the end of the creation week when God sat down and said, it is finished. Right? When he sat down from the creation work that he did, and he sat in an eternal Sabbath rest that continues to this day. And if you and your retirement enter into a rest like that, you would be able to connect to God who is resting. Or, I said, you know what? We also believe in the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. That's what the creed says. And so you're afraid because you think you're acting like 
you're only going to live once. I said, you know what? Actually, you're going to live twice. And let me tell you about these two lives. This rope shows the two lives that we actually will live. Right? This is our life on earth. This is your life on earth. How do I know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And I told him, I've also told one of my kids this, because one of my kids really likes to travel, and I've said, hey, look, it is amazing that God has made so many of your travel dreams come true, but I also want you to know that you are going to have the rest of eternity to explore every single inch of this glorious creation. And so if all of your travel dreams don't come true in this life, we're heading for a new heaven and earth. Our hope is not that we'll all be floating on clouds forever singing worship songs. <laughs> Although for some of you, that is a vision of eternity. Like, and I love you. And I love you. You lead me into worship. And I, and I thank God for you. Um, for another part of us, <laughs> um, we're heading for a new heaven and earth, where heaven and earth are joined. And I would suggest that we're going to spend eternity not only exploring every inch of this rock, but every inch of the universe with technology that we can't even dream about understanding. Friends, <laughs> we live twice. We live twice. And this life is so short. And it's a struggle, like it's a struggle for me, right? It's a struggle for all of us to remember this. But this is actually what it means to trust, to believe, to have faith, to live a life of faith that, you know what, God, I'm going to devote my life to you because I trust that there's life beyond the grave. Jesus' resurrection proves that the devil is a liar and that there is life beyond this. And man, it goes and goes and goes and goes. This is why we would say that the resurrection gives both hope and joy. The resurrection actually transforms hope into joy. Because not, no longer do we just hope that God is going to fix what's broken in this life. The resurrection proves that God is fixing what is broken in this life. And God is pioneering that renovation plan with Jesus' resurrection. And that turns our hope into joy. No longer do we just hope in life after death. The resurrection of Jesus proves that there is life after death. And that gives us joy and contentment. Because every sacrifice we make in this life 
will be repaid 10, 50, and 100-fold in the life to come. No longer do we just hope that God will bless us beyond the grave for following Jesus, but the resurrection proves, it proves that anyone who commits to Jesus will be blessed beyond the grave, and that gives us joy. And so uncertain hope turns into confident joy, and it's all because Jesus won at the resurrection. Even if the world doesn't know it, the resurrection proves that he is right. And if we believe in the gospel, if we follow him, we win too. Now, I know that this doesn't answer all of the questions. I get that. Some of you are here and you rejoice that this is true. Some of you are here and you hope that this is true. And there's still some of you here that don't think this is true. And I know that there's lots of questions. I know that there are all kinds of questions that are really important to discuss. There's all kinds of pain and suffering that we experience in our lives that make us question if God is real, that make us question if he really cares. But in all of these questions, the most important question that we have to answer is, did Jesus rise from the grave? Is he a resurrected Savior who has passed through death and into life? The, the historical evidence shows it. If you hope that it's true, there is evidence that will lead you to have confidence that it's true. If you don't think it's true, there's evidence that we want to help put before you, not to beat you over the head with, but just to invite you into a discussion so that you can either come to faith or, if you already believe, to build up your faith. Next week, we're going to begin a series. Easter is Invincible Hope. We're going to start a series next week called Invincible Joy because we're going to look at what lives look like when they base themselves on this resurrection of Jesus, when the resurrection of Jesus is at the core of who you are, at the core of your commitment, the next series that we're going to do is going to walk through what a life looks like when you have this hope and this joy. And so I just want to end with, like, does the devil feel like he's winning in your life? Do you feel like the devil's winning? Maybe the de you feel like the devil's winning out there, the devil's winning in here. I want to offer you that Jesus rose from the dead this brings hope and joy. And if you haven't committed to him, I want to invite you to take that step today. Repent. Turn the direction of your life to follow Jesus. Come to him and find forgiveness and a new beginning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this good news. It happened so long ago, and yet we still can feel your presence in the announcement of Jesus' resurrection. We know that something new has been born in us, and we rejoice. 
We rejoice in who you are. We rejoice that you are at work and that you're now working in us, in our hearts, and through us. Would you touch those who have not yet committed to you? Would you help them to see that the offer of the gospel is a personal invitation to all of us? Lead them to turn the direction of their lives toward you, to confess their sins and embrace your death and resurrection as their hope for the future and the present. And bring healing and renewed strength to all of us that are following you. Help us to bring the brokenness that we still experience. Help us to bring the darkness that still invades our hearts, the relationships that are broken. And help us to find in you renewed strength and love and a greater capacity to love and to serve others. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of our city. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.